Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We've got the Football League covered. Hello and welcome. It is episode 120 of We Are Going Up. I'm Mark Crossley and, well, it's fair to say we are looking a little bit thin on the ground in terms of numbers this week. One man who's here as ever, though, is David Cameron Walker. Hello. And you managed to break the internet. So it's well, I've not broken the internet. Okay. The internet's broken itself. So there's going to be no uh, no internet available for, for DC over the next hour. So it could be interesting in terms of stats. We'll get it well, fixed. What do you mean? We'll get it fixed. I don't use the internet. It's all in my brain. <laughs> um, on Friday, I couldn't believe this, everyone. Uh, I, I, I offered you the chance to come around to my flat, watch mm. Bury vs. Rochdale, live on Sky. Huge game. You turn me down for someone's birthday. I mean, a tantalising <laughs> offer, though it was. <laughs> You made I have the... to display loyalty to my good friend. You made the right decision, I think. Uh, we will talk about events at Gig Lane a little bit later. Uh, plus the other um, live Sky game at the weekend, which had everything. Chickens on the pitch again at Ewood. Uh, Blackburn against Burnley, so we'll talk about that. Um, Jim's going to come on because you're off to Cheltenham. I believe, tomorrow. We are, yeah, down to the old horse racing so, uh, to lose a lot of money. Jim is going to be going along. So we'll talk a bit about your uh, your betting this week and uh, how you're going to approach this, what kind of strategy you're going to have. We'll talk about just that let, later. Just everything I say, just let it be a lesson <laughs> to you, a warning. I'm, an, I'm a walking advert for, for Gamblers Anonymous. OK. Um, we'll also later talk about uh, Brian McDermott back under pressure at Leeds, uh, Billy Davis making yet more friends um, for Forrest at Barnsley and also an upset at Aki. We'll discuss that. Plus, the deepening crisis at Blackpool, the Tangerines lost 1-0 at home to Bournemouth on Saturday to make it 18 games, three months and 100 days since their last win. Uh, with the the, uh, the gap to the relegation zone in the Championship closing and protests against the chairman, Carl Oyston being ramped up by fans. The club is in, well, a bit of a state. We'll find out more later from Chris Walker, who writes for the independent Blackpool fans blog, Measured Progress, and has also written for When Saturday Comes and the Two Unfortunates. First, though, we have to begin in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. Because amazingly, there is still the potential for an all football league showpiece final at Wembley on May the seventeenth. Sheffield that happens. Um, we've, I know, got, we've got to get. There. I got into an argument. Sorry, we've got to be on the pitch. Yeah, I got into an argument with my housemate over the weekend. He was like, "Oh, no one wants to see a, a Sheffield United versus, um, you know, rubbish final. Sheffield United versus whoever." Wigan. Well, no, this is before the, the Wigan City right. game. He was sort of saying Arsenal City's the game that everyone wants. That's not the point of the FA Cup. The whole point is a team can have a day out at Wembley, like Sheffield United and Wigan are going to have again. You know what? What the thing what, that I I don't necessarily want is having been to the League Cup final last year Bradford against Swansea I mean it doesn't have to go this way uh, and you know last season we against Man City I suppose that was a, a giant killing of sorts but if we do get Arsenal against Sheffield United you know, you don't want to see a you know a mauling in a you cup don't, final. But I want a close game. I'd love it to be Wigan against Sheffield United because yeah. it'll be a fantastic but, story either way but with, with respect 
it's not your final, it's their final. It's not, absolutely. That, that's yeah. the way I was looking at it. But anyway, this is why I got into this argument. Let's, uh, the argument, I think the sponsors would have a different well, you know, viewpoint altogether, which, which well, they're getting not, out not, I'd agree with them, exactly. They're getting out it's anyway. It's not about the sponsors. I'm sure Paul will, uh, uh, Paul will have a different opinion in a second. Paul Kendrick uh, from the, uh, the Wigan Even Post is going to come on because what a result this was. Um, Manchester City 1, Wigan Athletic 2. We will talk about Sheffield United later, by the way. Uh, what is it about Wigan and the FA Cup? 2-1 win at the Etihad. Bayern Munich, Barcelona, Chelsea and Wigan. The only sides to win there this season. Incredible. Uh, Wigan will go back to Wembley for the fourth time in the year to play Arsenal in the semis, having won um, 9 out of 14 in the league since Rosler took over. They could yet be back there in the playoffs as well. Uh, let's speak to Paul then. Paul Kendrick is the football correspondent for the Wigan Evening Post and the Wigan Observer. Friend of the show. He was there at the Etihad on Sunday and he's on the line right now. Paul, another famous day in the FA Cup for Wigan Athletic. How are your nerves in that last 20 minutes? Oh, it was incredible, wasn't it? It's 20 minutes, it felt like three hours, to be honest. You know, every time I looked at the clock, it looked like it had moved about five seconds. But, uh, you know, the guys, I, I shouldn't have worried because they defended so resolutely and so stoutly and, you know, thoroughly deserved to, to hang on and get the vital victory. And uh, of all the fantastic performances yesterday, of which, of which you know, there were there were 11, really, uh, plus the subs, um, Emerson Boyce, what captain... A- an absolute <laughs> hero yesterday. What an absolute, yeah, fantastic piece of defending to get, just nick that ball from uh, from Jekko over the bar. Absolutely fantastic. Oh, okay. you looked a certain scorer, didn't you? You're just thinking when the ball came in, you know, this is it, 2-2, replay, whatever. But Boise's just come out of nowhere. And to be honest, you know, there won't have been any Wigan fans who, who were surprised in the slightest by that. He's, he's such an underrated, unsung hero. And, you know, if anybody's going to put his body on the line for the club and the team, you know, it was Emerson Boyce. And, you know, he, we mentioned that moment, but, you know, the whole the whole performance really, he really stood his ground against, you know, the, the guile and the pace of Aguero and the, and the physical size of, of, uh, of Jekyll in the second half. And, you know, what, like I say, you know, he completely sums up Wigan Athletic, the you know, the unsung hero and, you know, he picked up the FA Cup uh, deservedly so in last year's final and fingers crossed, you know, he may be able to do it again. It'd be a, certainly a, you know, a fairy tale end to the season. Well, for a championship side to win at a Champions League club, I know you beat them in the final last year, but bear in mind that starting lineup for City, Negredo, Aguero, Nasri, Navas and Torre in it. For a championship team to go and win there. Run the rest. Yeah. The whole um, lot. When no one has. I mean, it, it's an astounding result. It was absolutely incredible. I mean, you know, the, the strength of City was shown sort of on the hour mark when, you know, they, they brought three substitutes on and we were just quickly working them out and over £80 million pounds worth of players coming on and it was just, you know, what, what on earth is going on here? And you look at sort of the patched up nature of the Wigan team, you know, so a few players moved on in the summer following the FA Cup win and obviously they've had a few injuries recently such as Ben Watson and, you know, for, for, for them to hang on against the odds and, you know, in the sort of face of wave after wave of City attacking that second half it, it just shows what good tactical nous from the from the manager Rivera Russell but you know just good old fashioned you know British grit and determination and putting the bodies on the line to, to stop the ball going in and you know fair play it shows that the team spirit's alive and well and you know as we saw last year with the FA Cup run and when you've got team spirit like that you know it, it can take you all the way and it was interesting after the game to hear Uwe Rosler uh, sort of pay tribute to, to the tactical approach of Roberto Martinez from last year, saying that he studied it, he, he pretty much replicated it against City, and you know it, it worked again. And I guess more for City for not expecting the same thing and, and looking back to last year and seeing how to deal with Wigan. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
you know, it's pretty rare, to, to be honest, for for a manager to come out and you know, almost sort of deflect most of the credit onto somebody else. But you know, kind of just the Wigan Athletic way, really. You know, it's uh, it's something that worked for Roberto Martinez last year. And Uwe Ross has obviously got a, a slightly different squad of players, but it's the same kind of collective belief. And you know, we've seen so many teams go to the to the Etihad this season and kind of almost lay down and die. You know, taking a two nil defeat, three nil defeat. You know, let's try and get out of here with our dignity intact but you know Wigan there was none of that they just went straight at it from the off you know goal up at half time two goals up by by the 50 minute mark and maybe that's the way you've got to you've got to play against the top teams like this you know you you, you take it to them from the off and attacks the best form of defence you know it's a cliche but it's it's been proved right on two occasions now well, they played 3-5-2 yesterday with the wing backs um, is that the way he's been playing in the league as well no it wasn't to be honest it was uh a uh, slight tweak to the formation. Chris McCann dropped from the midfield to become a third centre back. Just gave them a little bit more protection against the the pace of Aguero. And obviously, um, there's a big onus then on the the wing backs Cranium Perch to get forward. Uh, obviously, the, you know the main duties are, are as defenders. But you know they've been invited, you know urged almost forward at every opportunity. And obviously that was shown no better example than when James Perch popped up, you know, out of nowhere. I'm sure Gail Clichy wouldn't have realised when that ball mm. came across in the in the second half. Probably thought he had more time than he had, but just shows what Wigan's game plan was, that they were 1-0 up at the break, but, you know, still pushing, you know, the wing back forward into the opposition six-yard box, and it paid off. And obviously when City then, you know, all hands to the pump in the second half of throwing everybody forward, that extra defender, that extra centre-back, you know, it does come in useful, and, and they were able to hold out. And now, of course, the draw was made, and... Uh, you were drawn uh, out by Ian Wright and Sean Wright Phillips against Arsenal. And I think this is a really intriguing game, actually, because, you know, you've got a very bizarre situation where, where Wigan, the, the massive underdog, but you've been to Wembley, this is the fourth time now in a year. So the players will be at ease, you'd expect, with the occasion. They certainly, certainly shouldn't be overawed by being at Wembley. They're used to it. They should have confidence that they can do the job. They've just beaten Manchester City, who are you know will likely be above Arsenal in the table by that time. And Arsenal, there's going to be so much pressure on them to win this match, given the fact they've gone so long without a trophy that they, they screwed up the League Cup final against Birmingham City a few years back. You know, there will be big pressure on Arsenal, and there'll be people thinking that Arsenal have got this in the bag, whereas Wigan will be just like they were against Man City this season and last season. Nothing to lose, and you can see them doing it. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, they've got all the pedigree in the competition, haven't you? And you know, it's an excellent point you raised that. You know, Arsenal, the the Champions League team. You know, they they've got all the big players, all the big game experience. But you know, they don't want a uh, kind of a trophy. For what is it coming on nine years? And you know, that expectation from the crowd. We've seen the the sort of smatterings of, of booings at the Emirates over you know recent years when things haven't been going the way. And we've already seen on social media. That's the beauty of it, yeah. unfortunately. That. We're going to out, aren't they? We've, we already know that Arsenal are through to the final, where they'll play. You know, probably Hull, maybe Sheffield United, Wigan. You know, who, who cares? You know, they've come up with a few good results, but you know, Arsenal are virtually through to the final. It's a bye, but you know, it doesn't work like that. And you know, an early goal for Wigan, or you know, if Wigan can keep it goalless until half time, the hour mark, the Arsenal fans start to get a bit edgy. You know, and they know that Wigan have got match winners in the team who've done it on the big occasion, done it at Wembley Stadium. It might not be the kind of you know walk in the park that uh, a lot of people are expecting for Arsenal. And of course, Arsenal were the team that sort of relegated Wigan, weren't they? When you lost that game at the Emirates, so does that add anything extra to it? Yeah, thanks for reminding us <laughs> of that. We're just trying to uh, just trying to get over that, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it just adds to the spice. It's uh, 
you know, when you get to these, you know, big occasions, FA Cup semi-final, you do expect to play the big teams. I think Wigan got a bit lucky last year when they, they got drawn against Millwall. I think both Millwall and Wigan would have taken that, you know, with the big guns in the other the other side of the draw. They've obviously paid the penalty this time with, with the most difficult tie. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a one-off game. It's a cup semi-final. Anything can happen. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's Arsenal or Millwall. You know, it's, it's whoever's up for it on the day. And, like I say, Wigan have got the got the players with a big game experience, and you know who back against them doing it again. Let's talk a little bit more about Uwe Rosler then. Uh, been a fantastic success since he took over from Owen Coyle earlier in the season. Nine league wins in fourteen games. I think it's I think it's thirteen in twenty in all competitions. What's he done differently? You know, to 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 turn the season around so dramatically. It's it's an incredible transformation. I mean, when he came in, you. you you, you can't underestimate how low the confidence levels was. It was, you know, the, the kind of shit was going nowhere. It was, you know, it was a great start to the season. Everyone was, you know, really enthusiastic with the Europa League campaign. But Uve's first game in charge was, was was the last of six defeats in a row. And you just kind of, you did the season was, you know, it was literally going nowhere. The playoffs seemed a million miles away. Uh, they'd just been knocked out of Europe. And then, you know, to look at it now, two defeats in 19 games with, virtually the same squad of players it's it's an absolutely incredible turnaround first of all he had to address the confidence levels he he obviously came in on a, a you know wave of belief and confidence and that can only get you so far but it kind of got him you know got his foot in the door got him off to a decent start and i think the players just took the belief on from there you know they put a few good performances and you know it's not a bad squad of players as you know at wigan and it just kind of got that little bit of momentum and that kind of led to more momentum and you know before you know it they're pulling off good results they won a Reading just before Christmas which was massive they won a Derby on New Year's Day which was you know a real back to the wall effort but you know and then you start looking at the league table and you're thinking you know games in hand you know we can actually still make the playoffs here and what about that win at Forest a couple of weeks ago incredible I mean the week before that they won at Brighton which was you know a a real kind of statement because Brighton absolutely battered Wigan for virtually the whole game and Wigan held on and managed to steal the points and then as you say you know last weekend at at Nottingham Forest you know people were expecting you know real tough game at Forest but you know in reality it was it was almost a a, a complete opposite of the Brian performance it was Wigan who absolutely battered Nottingham Forest and Forest to be honest lucky to get away with just the 4-1 and you know if 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 you're hammering your playoff rivals your promotion rivals you know that's obviously a big statement of intent and I think there's quite a few teams in that playoff picture that are looking over the shoulders now and thinking, well, actually, you know, we kind of almost discounted Wigan a few weeks ago, but they are the form team. And if they can keep it going and if they can stay fit, I think they've probably got to be the, you know, the favourites going into the playoffs with, with so much momentum and belief behind them. Could well be another Wembley appearance just, to, just, for, <laughs> just for good luck, couldn't it, at the end of the season? But um, just a, a word about... Um, yeah, more of a sombre note, Ben Watson, obviously the hero from last season with the goal in the cup final, uh, unfortunately broke his leg, double leg break recently. Uh, it's going to be out for some time, but the club has given him an extension to his contract, which is a great show of faith, and that's obviously going to really help him to focus and be positive during his rehab. Of course it is, yeah. I mean, it just underlines again, you know, what a you know a family club Wigan Athletic is. You know, I believe that they were really close to signing a deal before the injury, but... It's a cutthroat business, isn't it? I mean, they, they would have certainly have been within the rights to kind of step back and say, well, actually, you know, you know, your contract's up in the summer. You're not going to play for, for quite a long time. Let's at least stand back and see how the recovery comes. But, you know, not a bit of that. Right from the top, the chairman, Dave Whelan, you know, basically said, you know, look after this kid. He's, he's looked after us in the past, you know, with the FA Cup final goal. And, you know, that that's, again, underlines, you know, what a quality club. And I'm sure that'll only help Ben Watson on 
There were a lot of people, a lot of fans at the game yesterday in, in Ben Watson mass, you know, in a real sort of show of solidarity. So you, and did you put that in the paper, didn't you, last week? Yeah, we did. You know, was, we, we had a, a number of number of emails and tweets from fans, you know, as a, a bit of a joke, but it kind of took a, a life of its own. You've seen the pictures, <laughs> just literally hundreds of them. It was it was fantastic. I'm sure, you know, Ben watching along, he'll have been really disappointed to miss out. But, you know, you, you kind of look at that and you look at the contract situation and, you know, it would have given him a smile and, you know, make him realise that it's, you know, perhaps not so bad after all and there's plenty to, to return, you know, for. I suppose it's easy to say this in hindsight, given how well the last few months have gone. But I suppose David Whelan does deserve a fair amount of credit for making, you know, the decision early doors that it wasn't going to work under Owen Coyle. You know, maybe we got it wrong in the summer. Maybe we appointed the wrong person. For whatever reason, the two parties just didn't get on and it didn't work. And appointing Uwe Rosler you know, looks like a masterstroke now. Yeah, I mean, it was the complete opposite with Roberto Martinez. He obviously, he came in and famously in his first press conference, Dave Whelan said, you know, even if this guy takes us down, I'll keep faith with him because I'm 100% certain that, that this guy's the man for the job. Obviously, it wasn't working for whatever reason under Owen Coyle and instead of, you know, adopting the same approach, he, you know, he had the, the, the foresight and the guts really and the, the bravery to kind of admit he'd made a mistake. You know, we've got the wrong man at the wrong time. Let's change it and see if somebody else comes in. And, you know, you can't argue with, with the results Uwe Rossler's produced. You know, the proof of the pudding's in the eating. And he's, he's absolutely, you know, hit the ground running, completely turned it around. And another masterstroke from the chairman, you'd have to say. <laughs> and let's let's make no bones about it. Just in the sort of, uh, you know, uh, brief history, I suppose, of Wigan Athletic, this is like a golden period. To go to Wembley four times in a season, there's football league clubs that don't go to Wembley, you know, at all in decades. And you must be like on first first name terms with the, the hotel staff and stuff. <laughs> You've been down <laughs> yeah, there so often. It was brilliant. The last time we went, the Wi-Fi remembered us, which was just absolutely <laughs> incredible for a, you know, a small northern club to have that kind of bond with the, the national stadium. But... It is incredible. I mean, you look back at the history of Wigan Athletic. Before last season, they'd only once made it to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. You know, and we were looking at the, you know two semi-finals in a row. It might not seem a lot to you know top clubs up and down the country, but this is you know genuine history in the making for, for, for you know what is really a, a small town on the outskirts of Manchester and Liverpool. You know, fighting miles above its weight. You know, if 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 the adventure happens to end tomorrow, <laughs> you know it's you know the the, the town the, the the fans are grounded enough to say you know we've had a great time, you know we'll still support the club, but uh, we're just determined to kind of stay with this ride as as much as possible because it's it's giving us some memories that will last you know for for many a year. Thanks for coming on the show, Paul. Enjoy Wembley again. Yeah, nice to talk to you cheers mate that is uh, Paul Kendrick who's the football correspondent for the Wigan Evening Post and the Wigan Observer we will come back to the FA Cup later and discuss Sheffield United getting to the semi-finals as well by the way uh, but next oh god we're off to Bloomfield Road where things just go from bad to worse for Blackpool So back on November the 30th last year, Paul Ince returned from his five-match stadium ban and led his Blackpool side to a 2-0 win over Sheffield Wednesday, which left the Tangerines fourth in the championship table. And as we record, that was 18 games, three months, and exactly 100 days ago. Blackpool have not won a match since. Ince was sacked in January, but nothing much has changed. They keep on losing the latest defeat, uh, being that 1-0 loss at home to Bournemouth on Saturday. With the gap to the relegation places below them, now standing at just six points and protests against the chairman Carl Oyston being stepped up off the field it seems that the club is in a bit of a sorry mess to be honest let's speak then to Chris Walker 
who writes for the independent Blackpool fans blog Measured Progress and he's also written for When Saturday Comes and The Two Unfortunates uh, plus appeared on the Seasiders podcast. Chris, thank you very much for coming on the show. Um, we should say, by the way, the line isn't perfect here, so uh, do bear with us a bit. Um, Chris, I'm not really sure where to start looking at all this. I get the impression uh, that you, like many Blackpool fans, are beginning to think that relegation is uh, pretty much a certainty unless something changes pretty fast. Yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly looking that way. Um, as you say, um, I, I'm not sure where to start myself either. It's, uh, <laughs> it all seems to have gone horribly wrong. And um, yeah, I mean, the way we're going, relegation looks a near certainty, I'm afraid. Uh, Chris, who are Blackpool fans most angry about? Um, you know, in, in this whole situation, you know, who, who gets the, the lion's share of the blame? Is it uh, Carl Oyston and the board, uh, the players, you know, or Barry Ferguson? Um, I think there's definitely a mix there. I'd say the majority of the anger is directed towards uh, the Oyston family as a whole. Obviously, it's uh, Carl's father Owen, who's the ultimate owner of the club. Uh, but Carl sort of runs club day to day and it's really his policies that have come under attack a lot lately um, and really I think it's just a lack of investment of the Premier League money since relegation really uh, I was reading your piece that you wrote for uh, When Saturday Comes earlier on and you finished with the line that the uh, the Premier League day seemed, seemed like a, an absolute lifetime ago uh, and you refer to it there. I mean, that that is always the point that we we come back to. We, we've spoke about Blackpool a number of times over the last few seasons since you left the Premier League on this podcast, and it always comes down to the fact that the money that you had in the Premier League plus the parachute payments just hasn't been reinvested in the team. And looking at the latest set of accounts, you can see that Blackpool, one of the few clubs in the Championship to be turning a profit, which is a good thing on paper. Certainly there are clubs such as QPR and Leicester who would be envious of those figures. However, you're very much envious of their league status. Mm-hmm. So you've got, to, you've got to get a balance, haven't you? You do need some reinvestment in the team. Otherwise, you know, you will decline and you could very well be relegated this season, which doesn't, you know, which is counterproductive. Exactly, yeah. Um, I think uh, it's quite interesting to sort of revisit the chairman's comments after we won promotion. As soon as we won promotion that day, uh, sort of four years ago at Wembley against Cardiff, um, one of his comments was that with the money coming in, it can't fail to change the way that the club operates. But as you can see, we kind of stuck with the policies that we had before we inherited any of the Premier League money. Uh, we're still sort of relying on the free transfer market, uh, loans, sort of cast-offs and has-beens from all over the place, really. So, yeah, it doesn't really seem to have sort of improved the way the clubs run at all. As you say, we're bringing in these profits, but none of it seems to be reinvested in the team. Has there been any uh, reinvestment or significant reinvestment in, in the infrastructure of the club? Because sometimes, you know, you come down from the Premier League and you have this unexpected windfall. It's not always a wise decision to go out and spend £25 million on, on you know players with big wages the next season. Speaking as a Watford fan, I know that all too well. But it can make sense to invest in your ground, in your training facilities, and a youth academy, things like that that are going to be there for the long-term sustainability of the club. Has there been anything in that way from, from Oyston? Yeah, I think that's been a, a real uh, sticking point for a lot of supporters. I don't think anyone really was sort of demanding and kicking up a fuss that we had to go out and spend tens of millions on players. I think what a lot of us were hoping for was sort of moderate investment on the playing side, but also, as you say, sort of in off-the-field uh, projects as well. The stadium has improved since sort of five years ago. I don't know if either of you been to uh, Bloomfield Road, but um, certainly at one point it was a bit of a, bit of a wasteland uh, behind one of the goals. They did finally construct a new south stand. That was actually, I think, before promotions to the Premier League. 
and then they also replace the old sort of golf stand from the 18th at St Andrews along the east side of the ground as well. So there has been some improvement on the actual stadium, but I think one of the one of the real sort of bugbears for a lot of fans is the uh, lack of movement on the training ground. Um, it's really not changed that much since the uh, days of standing Athens almost. Um, when uh, when Ian Holloway was first appointed, one of his um, his comments he didn't want the players to train at the hell hole or a training ground anymore. Yeah, five years later, we're still there, and there doesn't seem to be any movement at all uh, with regards to that. So, yeah, that's a real concern for fans that there's a lack of sort of a long-term legacy, which we all hope for from the uh, Premier League. Well, we'll go on to the uh, on-the-pitch stuff in a second, but um, you've taken a look, a close look at the accounts uh, for a blog you wrote. Where is this money going, then, if it's not going on the off-the-field stuff and it's not actually going on the team? Again, yeah, it is sort of a very complex um, subject, really. Uh, there's been profit, so a lot of it is just being sort of held back almost in uh, cash reserves. But there's also been, um, and this is sort of a real uh, worry for some fans, sort of money loaned out to other companies that are owned by the owners. So at the last uh, count, there's about 1.2 million being loaned to various loss-making, oyster-owned companies, which seems sort of a strange use of uh, club funds when they're struggling on the pitch, really. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is a bit of a murky business, and... You know, you, we're seeing the financial fair play sort of thing becoming a lot more of a hot topic these days. And, you know, we've had just had the whole um, situation with Birmingham City. And you, you do wonder whether the Football League may take a closer look at, you know, I, I've got no idea whether these things are within the regulations or not, whether they're close to it or not. Um, that's for someone with far more detailed financial knowledge uh, than me to say. But like you say, you do... You do kind of expect that there should be some sort of investment in the team. I, I just wanted to ask Chris now about more of the of the on the pitch stuff like Mark said. The, the issue with, with Barry Ferguson and, and the management must be a concern I think really because you know as far as I'm aware he's still you know not exactly he's got a long term contract he's not the, the proper manager as such although there doesn't seem to be any you know full time uh, replacement coming in so he's got the job it's his job at the moment maybe he's sort of been trying to prove himself and it certainly hasn't been going very well even by his own admission uh, so far but do you think the situation you know do you feel sorry for him at all with the uncertainty around it or you know has it been a sensible move to try and give him this opportunity to prove himself I think that a lot of the supporters have a lot of time for Barry Ferguson um, I think we all sort of realise he's been put in a difficult situation and to be honest, I'd be quite worried for him that this could potentially affect his longer-term uh, managerial prospects. If it goes badly here, uh, you do wonder if he'll kind of get uh, hard with that brush if, if the worst happens and we do get relegated. Um, as for whether it's the right move having a manager, um, it's hard to say, really. Um, I don't think there's actually too many managers out there who'd... Uh, You'd really want to walk into <laughs> the situation that awaits them up in But I mean, what, what, what is the explanation for, for not appointing a manager to replace Paul Ince? Yeah, communication has never been the club's <laughs> best point, really. Um, so I think Carl Oyston is a very sort of unique individual and he's quite a low-risk person. He, he, he likes to sort of take things a day at a time. Um, if you go back to last year, Michael Appleton, after he walked out on us to take the uh, poison chalice at Blackburn, <laughs> He actually uh, described it as a day-to-day club and that Carl's very unique in his methods. Um, so I think it's a case of Carl probably wanted to see how it went week to week and he was hoping that should Barry Ferguson pick up a win, if he, he could then sort of justify at least giving him the job for the end of the season. Um, obviously, we're eight games into that now and there's still no win. So it's a, it's a really difficult situation. Now. We're getting into 
middle of March. What do you do now? Do you twist again or it's very difficult? Absolutely. I mean, just looking at Ferguson's comments just after the last couple of games, um, you know, really would give you cause for concern as, as a Blackpool fan. He's basically been saying, well, you know, the team are not good enough. I'm, you know, despite all the things I'm doing in training, I don't know what else. Well, these doing. are his mates as well, and if he can't get his mates playing for him, then you know, exactly. And and then you're in terrible form, and the, the next game of all the people to be taking on, it's Millwall, and of course, Ian Holloway, uh, and they themselves who have been in terrible form, but just picked up a, a very crucial win for them against Derby. So I think they have a little bit more confidence going into this game, and it doesn't look like it's going to get any better for for Blackpool. No, exactly. Yeah, the game tomorrow against Millwall, it's a real... Uh, I always hate to use the phrase must-win, but it's, it's definitely a must-not-lose. Um, we've got a few key games coming up against uh, the teams around us, particularly at home. I think before the end of the season, we've got Millwall, Yeovil and uh, Charlton all at home. And you're looking at those three, really, and you probably need minimum sort of six points, possibly all nine, considering our form against those teams. So, yeah, I mean... Obviously, it's the return of Ian Holloway as well, so uh, that just uh, rubs a bit more salt into the wounds. And obviously, yeah, I'm still highly thought of at the club. But the thing is, when Holloway was manager and Blackpool were in the Premier League for that 2010-11 season, they were like everyone's sort of second favourite club. They were so entertaining. They were scoring goals. They were leaking goals. This season, even in the early part of the season when Paul Ince was there and you were doing well, I think you were sort of second in the league. I think at the end of at the end of August, you were winning a lot of games one nil. Um, so you've not really been scoring lots of goals all season. So at a time like this where you need to score goals, that would be a bit of a concern. Yeah, definitely. And I think when I mean, you touch on it there, um, the sort of early season results under Paul, and a lot of those games we were pretty lucky, really. Um, first game of the season at Doncaster, we were a bit fortunate uh, to get a 3-1 win there. Then we played um, Watford at home, and it could have been 4 or 5 nil up. Um, and somehow uh, one bit of skill from Tommins um, and that uh, turned it around for us but in a lot of those early games as you say we weren't scoring goals and we were missing games 1-0 and there was even a couple of games where Paul Ince even said that and just try and miss a goal which is never the most uh, ambitious thing to hear from your manager I know that we've said that we should feel sorry for, for Barry Ferguson and, and I, I'm inclined to agree with you on that one but having said that he is in charge of the team there is, there's no time for, for, for sympathy really in the situation that you're in what do you think he should do, if anything, in terms of trying to change the, the approach, the tactics, the, the selection of the team compared to what he's done so far? I mean, has he changed it at all from Paul Lintz? Uh, would you like to see him change formation or maybe try and bring a lone player in or two? Uh, what can he do, do you think, to make a difference? Uh, yeah, that's a, a really good question. And it, it's got to the point where you, you do wonder what he's next. Um, Going back to the tactics, um, it was sort of a very uh, defensive 4 5 1 approach under Paul Ince. As I say, he was always looking to keep it tight and try and make a goal, maybe with a bit of skill from his son. Um, Hitchcock has changed, and he's sort of made his playing a sort of 4 4 2 diamond. But I think everyone was quite encouraged at first in the first game that he was in charge against Doncaster at home. He's got a 1 1 draw, and, and we could have won that game, but I think. Uh, Doncaster got equalised in the last 10 minutes. Um, but, but there was some sort of attacking intent there and you thought that, OK, you know, things might change now. But, you know, eight games later in this sort of diamond formation hasn't really uh, produced the goods and we're getting a bit overrun in midfield, to be honest. We'll be arguing two up front, which a lot of people are calling for under Paul Lynch, but it just means that we're 
sometimes in the midfield battle a lot of the time. And things might get worse before they get better because after the Millwall game, you've got Leicester away and then two of the next three after that are QPR, who are obviously going for promotion, and Bolton who are in a great run at the moment. So there could be more pain to come before it turns. Yeah, the, um, the away fixtures are really awful between now and the end of the season. As you say, Leicester, a bit worried about double figures at that one. Um, and then, as you say, QPR and then the Bolton seem to have picked up. I think it's really going to come down to the home games. The, the sort of key fixtures I mentioned earlier against, say, Millwall tomorrow and then um, Yeovil and Charlton. And I, th- I think we've got Huddersfield at home, which might be one that you target. But again, you know, yeah, and it would also help if you didn't have half your team suspended all the time, would it? I mean, was it 10 red cards this season? Well, that, yeah, that's it. Um, I, I think uh, we're going to the championship record. <laughs> but, uh, it, it, in all fairness, it has slowed down a bit since, um, since Paul Winters' departure. I think it's just the one since then. Um, okay. But yeah, it, it was getting ridiculous at one point. We had three cents off at Yeovil away. And then I think the following game, we had two cents off away at Derby and you just wondered uh, who was going to play week to week with all the uh, suspensions we had. Uh, Chris, thank you very much for coming on and speaking to us. Sounding pretty glum. I hope things uh, improve pretty fast. Yeah, fingers crossed. But, uh, well, I'd like to say uh, can only get better for me. But, uh... <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. Thank you, Chris. That is uh, Chris Walker, Blackpool blogger for Measured Progress. And you can read more from his blog, uh, which you can find at measuredprogress.co.uk. Right now, it's time for my club. Uh, The bit of the show where we give Football League fans 125 seconds to tell us all about supporting their side, all to celebrate the 125th anniversary of the Football League. And today, it's the turn of Carlisle United. This is We Are Going Up. My club in 125 seconds. Hello, I'm Sam Pocock. My club is Carlisle United. So, Sam, do you remember your first ever trip to Brunton Park I don't remember my first trip to Brunton Park but I remember my first trip to a Carlisle game it was Rochdale away in 92 I was four years old and I saw um, a 2-2 draw my dad was quite strategical in uh, did my enjoyment of the day bought me everything that I wanted and he <laughs> says kind of his lasting memory of the day was me being sick at two in the morning thanks to a Rochdale burger much to my mum's uh, displeasure um, and ever since then I've been hooked God <laughs> bribery to be a as long as, you were, fan. as long as you weren't wearing one of those split Rochdale Carlisle scarves then <laughs> which I'm sure they were selling yeah, they were around in 92 and even yeah, though they so. around the Rochdale v Carlisle <laughs> but you never know uh, so what uh, in all your years since uh, that you've been a Carlisle fan what would be the high point um, I think, you know, being a Carlisle fan and to be able to say that I've seen my club win at both the old Wembley and the new Wembley um, is pretty impressive. Mm. You know, both in the uh, auto-win screen shield beating Colchester and then more recently in the Johnson's Tame beating uh, Brentford. Um, but I think, you know, it's no surprise to say that the high point was definitely the Jimmy Glass game. Um, if I you thought you might Holly- get mentioned somehow in yeah. this. <laughs> if, you, if you had a Hollywood um, film producer write a, a film about that, you'd have people slating it saying it wasn't believable. Remember, I remember crying before the corner because it literally was the last kick. And then, you know, you see everyone running onto the pitch and the ref being taken out. And I was just in the East Stand with my dad, just couldn't move. It was just Amazing. unbelievable. That's what know. it's all about. Yeah, still uh, shivers down the spine now. You mentioned your first game was an away game of Rochdale, but what's uh, being, being that Carlisle is one of the most northern uh, most teams in the football league, what's been the, the most arduous away day you've had to face? Oh, God, where to start? I remember going um, to Yeovil for their first um, home, ge- uh, home game and back in the league. Um, yeah, that was a mission. You think of a lot of the long ones to Plymouth. 
Um, and, you know, it, it, it is a massive downfall, the location. But, you know, on the plus side, there's only local rivals to uh, have arguments with. Proper supporter, I think, definitely. <laughs> um, Samuel, two minutes is up. Thank you very much. My club in 125 seconds. We are going up. We've got the Football League covered. There will be another My Club along next week. And remember, fans of Football League clubs, this podcast needs you. Uh, we read out a big long list last week on the show of clubs that we need fans for still on My Club this season. So please do tweet us at Wagyu Podcast or get in touch via the contact form. We are going up.co.uk slash contact. Joining us on the line right now, live from uh, Leicester and presumably already in prep for Cheltenham, is uh, Jim Knight. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. You all set? Yeah, just about, just about. Are you two going to try and get together and try and, uh, you know, you can well, get, some yeah. tips, get some tips off a proper person, Dave? Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm <laughs> we're got high hopes for your, so. for, for your knowledge, Jim. I'm relying on you. Yeah. Okay. I, I a did lot wonder, of people are, which is slightly worrying. <laughs> yeah. I did wonder whether we should have a, have a look through the... Uh, or, or the the cards for tomorrow, cards. or for the whole week, really, and see whether there are any there are any sort of football league related names. Mm. Yeah, not one uh, one hasn't jumped out at me because yet. last I year I might do that tonight on the way back. Right. I've got a lot of reading to do back on the train back to London. So I am I am I might have to have a look through. Still scarred from last year. Um, oh God! Working uh, as as many of you will know, I'm sure for, for Talksport, Adrian Durham dropper has had. Well, otherwise it doesn't make sense. Otherwise, uh, Adrian Durham has uh, has had a long, much publicised uh, obsession, shall we say, loving with Michael Carrick. Yes, um, even oh, when what he was a person to have a loving with. <laughs> and last year there was a horse, and he was fifty to one or something ridiculous called Carrick, Carrick Boy, Boy. <laughs> and, and it was on like the Thursday or something, like one of the last races. And and he obviously he, he whacked up a load of money, and he won. He came home at fifty to one. Just oh. and so it is one of those things. You sometimes yep. you just ignore the form, Forget ignore logic. the odds. You see a name, you go for it, and it might work very well. Might come in. And I sat there thinking fifty to one. Come on, <laughs> never going to come in. Right, right. let's talk some football, shall we? Um, you can save your horse racing chat for tomorrow. Uh, the weekend's action. We've talked, obviously, in depth about Wigan, uh, but the other FA Cup semi-final will be contested between Hull City of the Premier League and Sheffield United of League One, the third tier of English football as his first semi-finalist since Wickham in 2001. Bramall Lane, Jim, over 30,000 in, glorious sunshine and yeah. uh, nine straight wins for the first time in the club's history. What an I- incredible run and achievement. Yeah, I, I tweeted, actually, on the day that it looked a picture, it looked absolutely brilliant and the atmosphere sounded fantastic. Even coming through the TV, you could actually tell, you know, there are two sets of fans. Charlton took plenty up there. They took about 5,000 up to Sheffield United, which is great. You know, for a from, midday kickoff on a Sunday yeah, as well. Yeah, for a midday kickoff. And there was real problems from, with the trains as well. as well. Yeah, standard. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I think there was, well, think there was an issue where the, the Charlton fans couldn't, some of them, because of the trains, couldn't actually get there till after kickoff. So yeah, I think they had to obviously try and first, drive there or get the coach and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, they said the first train got in seven minutes after kickoff. Yeah. Well, the um, good, is it? the Charlton um, fans might have turned up, but the players really didn't, did they? No, they weren't. They weren't brilliant, were they? And it's it's disappointing because their form's been dipping in the league. They've not been brilliant, and you thought this would probably be the bright spark. But bottom of the league, now. I know they've got games yeah, now, but you know, uh, bottom of the league. Sometimes cup quarterfinals and things like this can act as a bit of a catalyst to get people kind of bouncing back up the league. But after that, I'm, I'm, you know, I wouldn't be looking at that league table with any kind of confidence if I was a, a Charlton fan. You know, the, the one big game against a team that are in, let's not be, you know, make no bones about it, a team that 
were bottom of League One not too long ago. Well, that's, the, th- that's the thing, isn't in it? The relegation zone. DC five weeks ago, they lost three 0 at Crew. We were so second bottom. We were saying, uh, you know, we, we had spoke to a couple of fans. They could they could be going down. And here we are, five weeks later, they're in the semi final at Wembley. With let's be honest, you know, we've got a decent shot of getting to the final. They're not. It's not like they're playing a team in the top four. Oh, they've got the best draw they could have hoped for. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, maybe, I don't know, maybe they would have preferred Wigan, I'm not sure, but they've avoided Arsenal, uh, who are the big team, so they'll be delighted with that. Um, but, I mean, it's funny, you look at these things, and they're only actually, what, 10, 11 places below Charlton, in in, in theory, in the Football yeah. League. Uh, they've won, I think it's 10, isn't that the 10th game in the road? At the oh, was it? I thought it was so 9. They've won 9 going into the game, I okay. think. So they're on an absolutely storming run. I think the Cup, you know... From, Loads of clean sheets in that as well, from, defensively, from, from they've the been great. Things, you know, the Cup has been a catalyst for them, they, and you can't say that it's been a... Uh, an easy cut run either well, they've beaten Premier Villa, League opposition Fulham they've beaten Forest as well do you remember that yeah. game at Fulham in the replay I think I think it might have been after the crew game where Fulham didn't play a, a strong side they played a weak side mm. they managed to win it 1-0 in the Worst last minute of extra time ever yeah well what, what a turning point that's proved to be, be in their season absolutely uh, and you wouldn't bet against them from you know just even the, the Wigan game which we've already talked about just shows that you just never know what's going to happen and I can see them doing the same thing again to Hull. I mean, it is, it is remarkable. I mean, the, and thoughts for Sheffield United fans will go back to uh, 2003, of course, when they were in the semi-final against Arsenal. I, I remember that day very well because uh, Watford were in the semi-finals that year. Like, we played the later game that day. And I went to, to Villa Park to watch that game and I watched the Arsenal game in the pub beforehand. And that that amazing save by David Seaman from Pesci Solidio's yeah. header. Uh, Graham Pohl obstructed Michael Tong in the build-up to the Arsenal mm. goal. You know, so there'll be some, so be some Sheffield United fans still bitter about that day, hoping to to exercise the demons. Well, they don't have a great record at, at Wembley, full stop. But especially the new Wembley, they've not scored there yet in a few different visits. Obviously, had that penalty shootout didn't they, against Huddersfield a couple of years ago. Uh, so um, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll talk more about that semi-final in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, let's go into the championship. Uh, your boys weren't in action, Jim, at the weekend, uh, but below uh, Leicester, Burnley have uh, well increased the gap what a, a crucial win that was 2-1 at Blackburn on Sunday and this game had everything it had planes over the pitch it had chickens <laughs> on the pitch and it had a great comeback yeah it was a fantastic game actually and uh, you know all credit to Blackburn they gave it a go um, and Jordan Rhodes put them ahead didn't he after about half an hour but you could just uh, you could almost feel the Burnley comeback coming or certainly I could kind of watching it they were piling on the pressure and that chance that, that two of, the chance that Rhodes yeah, missed at one 0 hit the post, didn't he? At one 0 he's cleaned through and tried to just place it past the keeper and hit the the base of the post and came out. And uh, I think the commentator said at the time, you know, is that going to be the turning point? And it, it turned out to be. But I thought Burnley were decent value aside from that that chance. I thought they were decent value. I thought they should have probably gone in level. They had the better of the first half and certainly the better of the second. And I think once they got the equaliser, Blackburn crumbled a little bit, didn't they? And just kind of almost were resigned to the fact that once they'd let one in they were going to going to let another one slip it's been a massive um, sort of few weeks for Burnley hasn't it we're getting that huge win over Derby uh, and then Derby losing to Millwall this week and them coming from behind it's really you know lengthened the, the gap now between them and, and third place and gives them fantastic confidence going into the final weeks of the season and you know they are. You've got a game in hand on them, Jim. Leicester City at top of the league, but only five points behind now. They're closing <laughs> in on the top. Yeah, um, it's a nervy, nervy time because we're. Cl- I mean, especially this weekend, looking down, and obviously, I, I actually enjoyed the Burnley game. I was, I was kind of willing them to win because I thought they were the better team. But a lot of people, uh, you know, were saying, "Oh no, we want, we want Blackburn to win." But I think we've got to have confidence in our own ability. If we're not confident about our ability to see this out with this many points ahead with with so few games to spare then we don't deserve it so uh, I'm looking forward to that I'm going to uh, to Blackburn in a couple of weeks time away so that should be good uh, can and, I just uh, 
hopefully a couple of yeah a couple of home games coming up as well actually can I just say then we've had uh, so far this season squirrels huskies and now chickens on the pitch if you've got any more that you can come up with before the end, the end of the season, we'd like to see it so we can talk about it on the podcast. <laughs> um, let's talk about QPR, DC. 2-0 away win at Birmingham. Two goals from Ravel Morrison. Crucial three points after the run they'd been on. And that coupled with uh, Derby's defeat gets them back in it. Absolutely. And we talked about Morrison when, when we did QPR uh, recently. I think after that terrible defeat for them at, at Charlton, um, there were flashes in that game that Morrison you know, would be an important player for them. He had a few chances that he missed that day. I don't think the pitch helped him out with this, particularly with this style of game. Someone that likes to dribble, someone that likes to be on the ball a lot. Um, playing on a, on a cabbage patch didn't help him. Uh, and he's, you know, he's returned against a club that he's had success at in the past. You know, Lee Clark thinks very highly of him. He's compared him to Paul Gascoigne. Um, which that, may yeah. or may not be. He did used to play for Lee Clark, though, didn't he? So. He did absolutely, and you know, then that, that's the highest compliment you can be paid, I suppose, as an English footballer. And he's got a lot of expectations on him, but you know, the best players are able to deal with that, and he could very well be the the player that, if not, gets QPR back into the automatic promotion hunt, stops the slide, and keeps him solidly in the playoffs. Uh, elsewhere in the playoffs, uh, Barnsley won, Forest nil, and um, that's a no wins in five, st- uh, three straight defeats now for Forest, and um, uh, Dale Jennings with a goal, uh, which is a great strike from uh, from long range, and uh, big win for Barnsley gets them off the bottom, but. Uh, Jim, this story uh, interests me. Um, there was a tweet on Saturday, I don't know if you saw this doing the rounds, from Sally Hegarty, a photographer working at the game uh, on Saturday for Barnsley, and it said, Today Billy Davis sent one of his minions over to me, and bear in mind Billy Davis is in the crowd and not in the dugout, to tell me to stop taking his picture. That man really needs to get over himself. And there's been reports of similar incidents at Brighton and Millwall this season. And the moral of the story is, do not take Billy Davis's photo, it seems. The thing is, with Forrest, they have this kind of... It's kind of like a paranoia about the media, isn't it? I mean, we've spoken before about blackouts that they banned various journalists. I think what was it one for the Nottingham Evening Post, and I know I think it was Daniel Taylor from the Guardian got banned retrospectively because he was there at the end of last season and didn't write a match report or something, but he was in the press room and they sent him a, a nasty email through to the, the Guardian, I think it was, and and said, you know, don't don't bother coming again. You're not welcome at the club. And I don't know why there seems to be this kind of reluctance to do any press and now Billy Davis I saw, I saw he's under advice of his legal team he's not going to be conducting any interviews until the 26th of March so you know obviously fans are quite a few weeks he's not going to be on the touchline he's not going to be doing any interviews either. It's totally bizarre totally counterproductive you know it's a downward spiral the, the worse you know the worse he treats the media and and, uh, and the various press around the game the more you know they will well, look to try and to try and show him up and yeah should we just call the whole thing off and have all the forest games behind closed doors really. is that what you want I mean, if he was on Facebook his pitch would just be the egg wouldn't it he wouldn't bother getting pitch it's, taken uh, it's ridiculous isn't it I mean he's, he's not even on the touchline and I mean how's he seen that this woman's taking photos of him like well the story was I didn't realise um, in the two all draw against Leicester the thing he got banned for was not just insulting the ref but he apparently barged into him in the tunnel yeah in the tunnel time. wasn't it yeah, yeah which, is, uh, which is why the ban was at five games five games Anyway, so uh, Forrester dropping more points. Uh, Brighton won, Reading won. Uh, so um, I think Reading just climbed back into playoff action, overtaking Wigan. A couple of games to uh, to mention, sort of mid-table wise. Uh, DC, what about Leeds won, Bolton five? I don't know where this has come from, but uh, Bolton scored eleven in their last three games, and Brian McDermott is somehow back under pressure again. He certainly is. Um, I believe he he's spoken to uh, Massimo Cellini and the chief executive as well in person since that since kind of to reassure them and kind of. Um, that everything is going to be okay there. There's still a, a certain amount of 
unrest, I suppose, and uncertainty at the club. You know, the, the, the scars will still be there, I suppose, from the, from the whole saga where he was sacked and then reinstated. Uh, but Bolton, on the other hand, absolutely flying, aren't they? Third, third win in a row, 5-1 away from home. And Joe Mason got three goals in his last three games. You know, remember when we talked when we sort of looked at the transfer window, we kind of raised our eyebrows a little bit at Craig Davies being let go to mm. drop down to League One with Preston. Well, uh, Dougie Friedman said the reason that you know that he had to get Craig out because he couldn't offer him first team football every week because he was he was he was hanging on and holding on to try and get Joe Mason back to the club for a second spell on loan from Cardiff, and it looks like the the, the decision has very much paid off. He's he slotted slotted in well, and he's helped them you know turn around a very very poor run of form that they're on before. Uh, Danny Graham scored two goals a week after I Shot said that he couldn't buy a goal. Um, and Jim Middlesbrough needed that, didn't they? Because Karanka was coming under a bit of pressure. Yeah, I mean, he had a bit of a, a decent start from what I remember. And then over the last few weeks, how long was is it? Seven games since they'd scored or something? 12, really? hours, 12 hours and 14, 14 minutes. minutes. Yeah, that's a crazy amount of time, isn't it, to go without a goal? But it's a, you know, it's a good win over Ipswich. Ipswich is one of those teams where you would probably say, yeah, they could potentially hold them to another clean sheet. But um, important. And Danny Graham's got a point to prove, really, hasn't he? He has to after dropping down, it's had a lot of moves, hasn't he? Yeah, it all went wrong for him when he left Card. Um, when he Swansea. left Swansea, he he scored in the League Cup semi final against Chelsea, uh, and then left before the final, mm. which seemed a, yeah. you know a bizarre decision at the time. And he's never really recovered, you know, any sort of form since. To be honest, uh, down in the bottom, uh, big win for Yeovil as well, two 0 against Sheffield Wednesday, two uh, screamers by Ishmael Miller. And um, uh, there's a lot of games in midweek in the championship, so unfortunately some of that might already be out of date by the time you yeah. hear this. Uh, but uh, the games do come thick and fast over the next few weeks. Let's drop down to League One, and we'll talk about Walsall nil, Wolves three first. Uh, Jim, uh, that is, um, what's that? Third 3-0 victory in a row for Wolves. Sixth clean sheet in a row as well. Sixth clean sheet in a row, and a club equaling eighth straight win in a row. And uh, things are really coming together, I think it's fair to say, for Kenny Jacket there. It's looking pretty ominous, isn't it? For if you're uh, if you're the likes of Lake Norian, you're looking at Wolves. They're just showing the potential that everyone seemed to think that they would have at the beginning of the season. Probably the only pre-season favourite actually out of the three divisions to actually be showing that kind of potential. Well, the um, thing the thing Kenny Jackett said after the game is a very high points total is going to be needed for promotion. And if you look yeah. at it, he's absolutely right because Wolves have played 33 games. They're on 73 points. So Orient have played 35. They're on 71. Brentford 33-70. So say, I don't know, Wolves get out of their last, I don't know, 13 games, say they get, I don't know, 10 wins, nine wins or something like that. That's yeah. going to be... That's a lot of points. That's in the 90s. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Well, the thing 10 is, points think... is 30 points. 10, 10 wins is 30 points, Mark. Well, they're not, not going to get 10 more wins. They're not going to get 100 points, are they? But, uh, well, they but... might do. Why not? Because they're not, you know, no one can beat them. They're imperious. Not because you're the goal for six But games. you could have this situation where, it was a couple of years ago in that division with uh, when the two Sheffield clubs were going for promotion, you could end up getting like Ch- 90 Charlton points. Got 101 points. You could end up getting 90 points and not getting promoted. Absolutely. Yeah, didn't, didn't Peterborough get 100 points, didn't they? I think they got over 100 points a couple, of, like a couple of years ago when they were yo-yoing up and down the divisions but I think part of that high points total was obviously down to the fact that Leighton Orient started like an absolute train I think that was eight wins on the spin wasn't it mm. and that obviously gives one team a, a kind of high points total early on so the, the bar is set pretty high um, from the word go if you're going to win eight on the spin Well Orient drew 0-0 at Notts County at the weekend uh, Brentford won 2-0 at home to Bradford and Preston are the, are the team for me that are really still in there they just keep winning uh, 3-1 away at Walsall they're just four points Oldham. off second 3-1 sorry 3-1 away at Oldham uh, so they could uh, they could still be in with a shout at getting second spot That's going to be tight isn't it and it'd be a real shame I think 
if, if Leighton Orient didn't get... I mean, I know Brentford have been really well under Mark Warburton, but I would feel a bit sorry for Leighton Orient if they didn't manage to do it, given how great a start they had, given how you know relatively unexpected their fantastic season has been. If they were to fluff their lines at the last minute, you'd, you'd be gutted, I think, for Russell Slade and, and the squad there. But Preston, you know, they've got the Simon Grayson effect, the, the League One promotion specialist. Joe Garner's been in really impressive form this season. Mm. Kevin Davis, I think, has been a really shrewd signing for them. Uh, you know, contributed not just in goals, but it was all around play and effect on on the team. And you, you know, I think it will be really tight. But I would fancy Preston in the playoffs more than more than not right. promotion. Um, the team down near the bottom, I wanted to flag up was Stevenage because uh, they were bottom of the table and nine points off safety uh, when they lost to Peterborough two weeks ago. Since then, three wins and a draw. Uh, the latest being three one against Tranmere on Saturday and uh, yeah Stevenage are just a point off the drop now and must be a bit weird for Tramir because they kind of need a manager at this stage of the season more than ever when you're getting dragged down towards the relegation zone but they don't have one because he's suspended yeah well they've got to do something haven't they and it can't be a good situation for the players for, you know they need direction they need to be certain of what's going to happen and this is the absolute worst time to be you know sort of stuck in inertia really they need a resolution one way or the other. I don't know how close they are to getting one, but they're they're in trouble. League two, the leaders Chesterfield lost three one at Accrington on uh, on Saturday with a hat trick from Lee Molyneux. I noticed uh, put out a nice tweet sort of saying sorry if I ruined your acca um, at the weekend, and um, I think that's uh, that's only four points from the last twelve available for Chesterfield. Jim, they drew nil nil with Portsmouth last week. A couple of games there against teams in the bottom half that they would have uh, hoped to pick up uh, maximum points from. Yeah, always nice to see a footballer that's. Uh, got his eye on the accumulator <laughs> boom, busting potential of a particular result but um, I remember Lee Molyneux he came into a bit of um, scoring form at the end of last season I think yeah, it was it because I think they were he's a, he's a fullback isn't he he's a, yeah. or a winger that they started plying his trade up front and he scored a, a, he scored a plethora of goals um, towards the end of last season it kind of took the bookies a little while to cotton on to the fact that he was a fullback being played up front so they were pricing him up at like 4 and 5 to 1 to score any time standard kind of fullback price and then not really Realising that he was going to be getting plenty of chances, uh, but yes, Chesterfield starting to to wobble a little bit. Well, I know a few people that have got um, them in their outright accumulation. Well, none of the uh, none of the top three won at the weekend, which is good for the teams below, like Burton, who won two one at Oxford. Uh, Scunthorpe uh, held at home by Northampton, and nineteen games unbeaten. Scunthorpe, well, they've only won two of their last ten, so eight draws in the last ten games. Mm. Uh, so they're not shown amazing form although they're not losing which is a good thing and uh, Rochdale drew 0-0 at Gig Lane live on Sky on Friday night against Bury uh, I thought um, well considering they were down to 10 men for more than uh, more than half the match that I, th- I thought they did well in the second half to, to uh, hold on for a point uh, they had a few chances to win it as well we missed three really good chances in the second half and uh, the pitch I, I know you didn't see the game but the pitch at Gig Lane is uh, it's just not good. It's not in a, a fit state for two teams that want to get it down. So we were a bit more direct than when I saw us at Wimbledon a couple of weeks ago. Um, but we now go to Southend away on Saturday. I'm going to that. So uh, they're a team who bang out of form, Southend. I think that's 10 games without oh, a win. They let me down at the weekend. Yeah, so um, hopefully we can we can get three points there. But I thought Sky really went overboard on the whole Hill versus Flitcroft thing. They sat them down for a special sort of uh, lunch midweek and they filmed it with uh, with this kind of music. <laughs> <laughs> and they did big thing like that and uh, and they did it again at full time. They got them over and I think the, t- the pair of them were just sick of it by then. They were just like, it's just a normal game, just let us get on with it. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, ten, 10 games unbeaten for us at home, which is another good stat. Uh, elsewhere in League Two at the weekend, Exeter, their barren run at home goes on. They've not won at St. James's Park since October the 5th, which is over five months 
Jesus. And they are taking on Northampton on Saturday. And that is a huge game for Northampton because I think we can cast Torquay adrift now as a, a conference team next season. They're 10 points off safety with 12 games to go. Uh, but Northampton still in with a sniff, DC. Well, they've not lost in four games now. Uh, a draw, uh, another draw, as we just mentioned, for Scunthorpe is a good result for them. But, you know, similar to Scunthorpe, but it's all well and good going unbeaten at this stage of the season whether you're going for promotional relegation you do need to turn draws into wins you know you and, and you know I suppose equally you could say you need to turn to defeats into draws as well so getting, <laughs> getting points is always a good thing but time is running out as, as, as you've seen with Torquay uh, you know it looks like their time has run out but Northampton they're, they're making a fist of it but I think it's going to be really tight and Jim finally Pompey nil Cheltenham nil uh, over 17,000 again at Fratton Park this season they've only had four wins from the last 21 games so you, you cannot accuse the Portsmouth fans of not being loyal can you? No absolutely not that's tough going isn't it if you 17,000 are turning up to watch you draw nil nil with Cheltenham <laughs> it's a uh, <laughs> it's a sorry state of affairs no offence to any Cheltenham fans no absolutely not obviously. no offence to any Pompey fans either but there you go 17,000 uh, right uh, that is uh, I think that should we, should we knock it on the head there I think that's it for uh, for this week if you uh, would like to get in touch on the Twitter it is at Wagyu Podcast the SoundCloud page is soundcloud.com slash Wagyu Podcast you can read the blogs check out the website uh, wearegoingup.co.uk oh and thanks to our friends at Audible the offer is still going by the way uh, if you'd like to get your ears around a free audio book uh, there's, uh, there's loads to pick from there loads good football ones as well so that's audible.co.uk slash going up to get it right the game's come thick and fast this week but you two are more interested in what's going to happen at Cheltenham tomorrow Jim yeah how's your form not too bad not too uh, well hopefully Cheltenham last year was actually pretty good I don't tend to get involved in horses very often but I'm on the gravy train tomorrow up in the box so hopefully it'll be a good day whether or not we, we win any are you, are you in a box DC or are you, are you, uh, are you down sort of uh, with the with the, the normal people <laughs> um, I'm not sure yet actually it's touching oh you've got a freebie on the go well it's 50-50 actually whether or not I can try and blag my way in and, and, and okay, what we want, a bit of hospitality what, what we want is uh, the pair of you to have at least one bet with a football related thing yeah I certainly will do I've already found mine oh, go on. I've already found them. yeah while we were on um, oh, it's so going to be too late People, by the time this comes out people oh, might have missed yeah, this yeah. Well, well, what time's the race at right. what time's there's racing all week what time alright well, yeah, when is this is it tomorrow it is actually for, it is actually for Tuesday so you can't confu- you can't uh, accuse me of after timing ok but, um, Fox, Fox Rock oh, obviously <laughs> where you go with that <laughs> uh, in the in the, uh, in the 1640. All right, well, people might tomorrow. still hear it. If you listen to this, yeah, you pull well, your exactly, finger out, yeah, Mark, and get, his, on, get this it? podcast out before four o'clock tomorrow afternoon, then we're fine. Okay, got to do my food shopping. I like how me and Dave are handing out our orders to you, Mark, <laughs> when we're both from here at Cheltenham. You two are going to be sort of living it up. I'm going to be sat there furiously editing away. Oh, well, I've had a calamity betting wise on all sports this season. Uh, I had a nightmare at Cheltenham last year. Um, so hopefully tomorrow is the day where the worm will turn for me and uh, I'll be able to bring in uh, maybe you won't see me next week I'll be stunning myself <laughs> news on that next week thanks Jim thanks Same, mate. that's it we'll be back in seven days time this is the We Are Going Up podcast we've got the Football League covered yeah!